Psalms chapter 51. One of the things that I appreciate about King David is David, unlike myself and probably a lot of us, David was very open. Uh, he was an open book. And there were times that David said some things that probably you and I would be extremely uncomfortable saying. And I think this psalm in particular is one of those times. Now let's start reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 10 and then we'll talk about the psalm and what's going on here. Psalms chapter 51 verses 1 through 10. David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make, known to, uh, make, to me, make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now if you're not familiar with why David is writing this psalm, I want to give you some background information to help us understand why he said these words. David was the man that is known to us through Scripture as a man after God's own heart. You know, I wish that God could give that commentary about me, don't you? About yourself? But you know, David was not a man without faults. In fact, David had quite a few faults, and we see those. And one of the experiences that David had in his life was when the kings were supposed to be out to war, David was at home in his palace. And he walked out on the balcony one night out on the roof, and he looked down and he saw a woman bathing. And this woman's name was Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a married woman. In fact, her husband was one of David's most mighty men, one of his greatest soldiers. And while this man Uriah was out to war, David saw Bathsheba, he desired Bathsheba, he had Bathsheba brought to his home and he committed adultery with her and she became pregnant. And when David found out that she had become pregnant, he tried to cover up that pregnancy. Maybe for his own sake, maybe for her sake, whatever the, the cause, he tried to cover up this pregnancy. And the first thing he did was try to get her husband he got him home from war, tried to get him drunk, and get him to go home and lay with his wife so everybody would think it was his baby. And that didn't work. Uriah was not going to go home and do that. He said, my fellow soldiers are off at war. I'm not going to go enjoy the comforts of home while my soldiers are out sleeping on the ground. So David came up with another plan. His plan was to send a letter in the hand of Uriah and this letter was to his nephew Joab, who was the general. And Uriah went and delivered this letter into the hand of Joab, and the letter said this, When the heat of the battle is the strongest, put Uriah at the front lines and everybody back up so he'll be killed. Does that sound like a man who thinks like God? No, but I bet we can find ourselves in that, can't we? 
And see, this is what David was writing about. David, after a very well-meaning friend came to him and said, David, you have sinned, you have done this, you have taken this man's wife as your own, you have killed him with the sword. David, you're guilty. David's sin became very present within his life so that he said these words, my sin is ever before me. You know, when I was a, a kid, I, I remember this very vividly. My grandfather took me out to Chief Plastics there in Pampa. It's a plumbing place, if you're not familiar with that. And uh, I was a little kid, and I, I had a backpack. And I walked through the store, and I saw all these little uh, CPVC parts just all in boxes. And as he was up there talking with the guy that runs Chief Plastic Supply, like Papa would always do, he'd talk for hours. I was in there collecting plumbing parts and putting them in my backpack. And I got out of the store and we got back to the house and I went down to the basement. I don't know what I had planned for these, but I took them and fit them all together and it was fun. And, and, and he saw this and he said, what in the world? Where'd you get all these? So you know what happened next? We went back to Chief Plastic Supply with a backpack full of plumbing parts and I had to give all these back to this man and explain to him what I had done. Now, is that a sin to steal? Yeah, it is, isn't it? But you know what? That doesn't haunt me. I don't lose sleep over that. And I think we all can identify with that. We've all done things that we remember happened, and it doesn't really bother our conscience, but then there's those other things we've done in life. The sins that we've tried to hide and keep secret all of our life and wanted no one else to know that stick with us. And it's always before us. Can you think of things like that? The question is, why is that? And even though we understand that sin is sin and all sin has the same punishment, there's something we need to recognize and that's this. Not all sins are created equally. They're not. And there's things you may do that can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have to live with the consequences. There are natural, physical, mental, emotional consequences because of sins we commit that may stick with us for a very, very long time. And I want to start by reading Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 1. He says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment, and it cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for honor and wisdom. Now let's think about the picture here. Now, I'm allergic to perfume uh, and cologne, but, but I, do, I can't appreciate the smell, okay? It's a pleasant smell, isn't it? That's why we wear it. We don't wear a smell that would be unpleasant. And we put that on to maybe uh, give off a pleasant odor so people recognize us with that smell and think of us as pleasant. That's the point of this saying here. Now I want you to think about his words. He says, here's this man who's got this jar or can of ointment that smells like perfume and dead flies get in it. And what's it smell like? You ever smell dead flies? It's an awful, awful smell. If you ever have a fly trap on your back porch, don't sniff it, but you won't have to. You'll smell it. It's terrible. And you know what people wouldn't do? They wouldn't pick up this perfumer's, this 
uh, perfumer's ointment and look at it and smell the dead flies and go, yeah, but I remember when it used to smell good. No, they just recognize the foul stench. And that's his point. You can be known as a person that is full of wisdom, that does things that are righteous, that does things that are good, and you do one thing that's wrong. And what do people remember? They remember the stink. They don't remember the wisdom. They remember what you did that was wrong. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, you're right, it's not fair, but that's reality. And so I want to say something to you people here that are young. It may be that you've lived your life such to a point that you have not committed a sin like I'm talking about. Something that you do that is so shameful and so hurtful that it sticks with you. So I want to say this, don't do it. Make sure that you make decisions right now in your youth that will not stick with you for years and years that you have to remember. Make wise choices now. So now I want to talk to the rest of us that have already done those things. You know, David is not the only person we see in Scripture that did things that we would say are shameful or that would be maybe necessarily traumatic to a person's uh, psychological state. The Apostle Paul was another man. And as we go through this study, I want to think about two men today. I want to think about Paul and David. Because these are both, in our eyes, great men of God. And they are, they were, great men of God. But they also had some baggage. And as David explains his situation in Acts chapter 26, up David Paul, uh, he says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. David remembered all of the sins that he had committed. And I think that's important. We need to remember that. David never forgot what he did, and Paul never forgot what he did. But you know, just like David, there was a moment in Paul's life that I want us to think about for a moment, and that was recorded for us in Scripture in Acts chapter 7. Where a man of God, whose name was Stephen, was preaching the gospel. And other men, as well as Paul, got angry with this man, and they took him outside of the city... And the Bible says that they stoned him. Now, we could move on and that might not impact us very much. And I'm sorry to be graphic, but I want us to think just for a moment about the situation that Paul is in. You know why people took their clothes off while Paul was holding the clothes of the people that stoned Stephen? Now when it says he held their clothes, what it's talking about is their outer garment. They had a, a kind of an outer garment that we might think of as maybe like a toga or a sheet or something like that. And they would take this off and they would set it aside whenever they would stone a person. You know why? Because they were going to get bloody. They were going to get messy. This wasn't where they set them out, you know, 100 feet away from a crowd and they all stood up on a cliff and, and threw rocks at them. They put a person in a circle and they all got really close and they threw rocks at a person until they were dead. Now... Uh, I remember watching a movie when I was a kid, Lord of the Flies. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but I'm not recommending that, by the way. Uh, but it was about a society of young people that were stranded and how that really brought out the worst in them because they were without reality. And they, they, at one point, 
took a boulder and threw it off of this cliff and hit this kid in the head and killed him. And I remember seeing that image and it always stuck with me. But you know what? That's just a movie. It's just a movie. Could you imagine being the person there that stood with pride as you held the clothes of these people as they stood around a man and they threw rocks at him until he died? And these weren't boulders. You know, stoning wasn't a quick death. It was a brutal death. You think Paul ever forgot about that? You think that one stuck with him? Maybe traumatized him? Especially when he found out that what he did, that he thought he did in the name of God, was actually the work of the devil? I bet it stuck with him. But Paul said this. He said, finally... There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. Even though Paul knew he had committed sin, even though he knew he'd committed great sins, here's what Paul said. I know that when I go and meet the Lord, he's going to crown me with a crown of righteousness. I'm going to heaven. I want that. Don't you? That's the peace that God wants to give us in regard to not just the little sins that we look at as little sins, but the great sins that stick with us. That we can know my sin has been taken care of. So let's start here. How do I forgive myself? And here's the answer. You don't. You don't. Because number one, this is not a biblical concept, okay? This is something the world has cooked up to describe what we often experience, and that is this. How am I ever going to forget and disassociate my emotions and my mentality from what I've done? That's the question. We don't forgive ourselves, okay? That doesn't happen. But we feel like if we can never forget what we did, we can never be at peace with it. And that's certainly not the truth. And here's why people have a misunderstanding about self-forgiveness. Because they don't understand redemption and atonement. So I want to start there by talking about redemption and atonement for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. As we think about redemption... The Bible says in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So, let me ask you a question. What do you expect to do to forgive yourself? Some great deed? Maybe restitution with a person you've hurt or injured? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, if we have an opportunity and we've hurt somebody or we've wronged somebody, that's a good thing, to, especially for their sake and ours, to go to that person and try to make peace. But what if you can't? Some people that I wronged are out of my life and have been for over 20 years. I haven't seen their face. What am I supposed to do with that? What if I can't make it right? Well, listen to what Paul says here. In him, we have redemption. You know what that word redemption means? The word redemption means a price that is paid 
to release a ransom. It's what's owed. Let me ask you a question. Who pays for your sin? You? Good luck with that. <laughs> it's Jesus that pays for our sin, isn't it? Let's look at another verse. Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. He says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This word reconciliation is a synonym of the word atonement. Now, the word atonement is actually two English words put together to describe what the Hebrew writer was writing in the Old Testament every time it used the word atonement. They took two English words, the word at and the word one, and they put them together and they made the word atone, at one That is reconciliation. In other words, God brought us back to himself. He reconciled us to him. How? Through Jesus Christ, not through me. I don't pay for my sin. I'm not required to pay for my sin. Jesus pays for my sin. You say, well, how's that going to help me not to, to, to forgive myself? Look at Romans 3 and 24. Being justified freely by his grace. Now let's talk about the word justified for a moment. This is a word that David used in the psalm. What's it mean to justify? The word justify literally means to clear from guilt. Okay, it's like taking someone's record, and this record has all these wrongs, all of these violations on it, and we just erase every violation. That's justify. So God erased all of the debt. How? By his grace. What it cost us. He says it was free. Being freely justified or cleared from guilt by his grace through the payment, the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation, that's a reconciling factor, an atonement by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Whose righteousness? God's. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. See, God forgives us of sin whether or not we pay the payment or not. And how can God be just doing that? Because of what Jesus did. God looks at the cross and he says, that payment was sufficient. I can forgive your sin. I can clear your guilt because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did. I don't pay the payment. Listen to what David said. Let's go back to our initial reading. David said, against thee... Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Who did we sin against? We sinned against God. Just the very idea, how do I forgive myself, implies that I have some greatness or righteousness that I myself need to forgive myself. Let me ask you a question. You might think this is a bizarre question. I've got lots of bizarre questions, by the way. Are you greater than God? You say, you're right, that is a bizarre question. Please explain that. Are you greater than God? Because if God says, your sin was great, but I'm willing to forgive it, but we say, well, my sin's too great for me to forgive, what we're essentially saying is, God, my standard is higher than yours. Because while you can forgive my sin, I can't forgive it. We're saying we're greater than God. 
Let me ask you another question. Are our sins greater than God's grace? I don't know how many times I've had somebody look at me and say, look, you don't know what I've done. There's no way God will ever forgive me for what I did. I want to talk about the redemption for a moment. We've already noted in a generic way that that means the price that was paid. But I want to think about what that price was. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus didn't come and die of old age. Uh, They didn't hang him. They didn't just stab him and kill him quickly. Jesus was tortured to be our redemption. They took Jesus and they beat him and they slapped him and they mocked him and they spit in his face. And if that wasn't bad enough, they took him out and they stripped his clothes off of his body and they tied his hands above his head onto what's called a Roman stipe. And then two men with whips began to beat Jesus starting at the top of his shoulders and working down to the lower part of his spine with whips. And these whips would have pieces of rock and sometimes bone or iron and it was meant to tear the skin on a person's body. And we're going to look at that and we're going to say, you know what? My sin is greater than the payment. Sorry, Jesus. Your stripes are not good enough to heal my sin. You ever wondered why Jesus had to suffer so brutally? Why not just die quickly? If death is the payment for sin, why not just any death? Why such a brutal one? And I'll tell you what I think. Sin demands a brutal death. And no one can look at the death that Jesus endured and say it wasn't enough. It was a sufficient payment for your sin. No matter how bad you think it is, Jesus made a good enough payment for your sin to be cleared. And your sins aren't greater than his grace. Letting go of our past is a result of faith and trust in God. It is not the result of forgetting that I've sinned, but knowing that God paid the debt for that sin. I wish I could offer you something different, but here's the reality. There are things that you've done in your life you will never forget. You'll never forget it. And you don't have to, to be at peace with it. David got to the point where he was at peace with his sin. Paul was at peace with his sin. Because he knew who his God was. And he trusted in him and not in himself. And that's how you do it. But it's not that simple. (laughs) How did he do it? That's the question. How do you get to that point? Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent 
and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You know what these people were pricked by? It wasn't just the preaching of Jesus but the reality that they had killed him. Try living with that one. You've been waiting 1,500 years for the Messiah to come, and when he comes, not only was he the chosen uh, vessel of God's mercy and grace, he was also God's son, and oh, by the way, you rejected him and then murdered him. And what did Peter say? You can have that one remitted. In fact, you can have all of your sins remitted. This is why David said these words. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know why Paul was able to live with the sins he committed? Because Paul, just like David longed for, was washed. Acts 22 and verse 16, Paul was told, I skipped a slide there. Paul was told by a man named Ananias, Now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. The reason why Paul could stand confident and say there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me is because Paul understood something. He was washed. He was washed. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3, and this is from the New American Standard Version. I'll tell you why I chose that in just a moment. It says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the reason I've chosen this particular translation of this verse is because the Greek word that's translated answer in our King James Version actually means an inquiring or an inquiry or an asking for. And this word appeal gives it a better rendering. So an appeal to God for a good conscience. Notice that in baptism what we're doing is we're asking God to cleanse not the outer, but the inner. Not just a doing away of the record that we might say is a record of our sins in heaven, if we want to think of it that way, but also a cleansing of the conscience that brings that shame, that guilt, and that regret. That's washed. Paul was washed. Listen to Paul's word in Colossians 2.11. These are very, very powerful words. He is writing to a church of people who were Gentiles who were being told by another group, the Jews, that they needed to be circumcised, that is, have a physical, surgical operation to be saved. And Paul writes to them and says, that's nonsense. He says, in fact, you've already been circumcised. He says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. Now what Paul describes here is an operation. You ever had an operation? Uh, Sister Becky's not here today. Uh, but I would imagine that she could tell us more about surgical operations than anybody else in this room. She's had a lot of them. And I remember seeing her walking with no assistance 
for the first time and her looking at me and I said, you're different. And she said, I am pain free. Praise God. I'll bet you, if you asked her, did that surgery change you? What would she say? You know, when a successful surgery happens, we don't forget. It changes our life. He talks about this being a surgical procedure wherein not a man does a surgery, but God himself works on you. And what does he do? He makes you a new creature. He gives you life and he forgives you all trespasses. Have we forgotten that? Paul never forgot that. You know why the other reason that Paul could have peace with his sin? Paul was different. You say, what do you mean by that? I don't mean he was different in the perspective of he was a peculiar person. He was different from everybody else. I mean, Paul was different from the guy that stood there and held the clothes of the other people that went and got bloody with an innocent man's blood. He wasn't that same person. You know what happens a lot of times is people... They come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and they obey that gospel. They are washed in the blood of Jesus and they never change who they are. You know what they live with? Guilt and regret and shame. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If you don't change, if you're not different, why should you forget what you've done? If you just keep doing it. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. Uh, Now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen to the language that he uses. He said, listen, you need to understand this first. I died with Jesus. I'm dead. Literally? Physically? No. Paul's talking about that old man, that old man that was tempted to sin, that old man that did what it wanted to. He said, that man is dead. He says, in fact, he no longer lives. And he says, now the life that I live, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God. The reason why Paul could be at peace is because he knew he wasn't living for Paul any longer. He was living for Jesus Christ. And nobody could look at the evidence of Paul's life and say, you're no different. Those voices that would cry out and scrutinize you, the scoffer that would say, hey, I know who you used to be. They may know who you used to be. And if they see your current behavior and they associate that with who you used to be, there's a problem. Because when we come to Jesus, we're supposed to be different. And we are shocked when people are different. Say, man, ever since that person became a Christian, he's like a totally different person. Well, it's supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be different. And Paul was different. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Y'all know that I used to run. Uh, I was not committed to it. I, I remember someone telling me one time as they stood on the sidelines that they were standing by Garland Dukes and as I ran by, I think we were at Sanford Fritch running a cross-country meet, that he said to that person, you know, probably the guy that has the most potential to run cross-country is Ian Jones. Big strides. Guess what? I was lazy. I was forced to train. Didn't want to train. But I learned something about running. Coach had this parachute that he'd put on us and he'd make us run down teacher's row with it. Man, it felt like there was a team of horses behind you just holding you back. And you're just fighting to go forward. Uh, you know, we did that for training. We didn't do that in the race. Could you imagine trying to run the race with that thing on your back? That's what we do, though. Paul says you need to let go of the sin which so easily ensnares you. You're running with a, with a weight around your ankle. You've got to quit that. Of course the race is hard. Of course times are tough. You've still got the sin in your life. And everywhere you go, it's right there. It's ever before you. It's always before your face. If you want the sin to go away and the regret that's just... Quit sinning. Don't do that anymore. Paul said, I speak in human terms. This is Romans 6, 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. And what he's saying by that is, I'm going to talk in a way that you can understand because if I talk to you spiritually, he said, you wouldn't get it. And he said, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in these things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And I want to stop right there for a moment. You ever just stop and sit on the side of the bed and put your hands on your head and say, this has got to stop. You ever been there? Why don't we stop? You know, he brings out a very simple truth here. He says, what end, what end is there for the things that are wrong that you've done in your life? What do we hope to gain? out of continuing to do the things that God forbids over and over and over. Have you ever committed sin and come out on the other side of it and went, man, that was good, let's do it again. You know, you might be surprised by this, but even the drunk that lives out under the bridge, you know what he hates the next morning when he's sobered up? That he's a drunk. He hates it. He doesn't want to be a drunk. He deals with the same regret that you do. Why doesn't he change? Look at verse 22. But now, having been set free. You know why the drunk under the bridge doesn't change? Because he's not free. But there's something he says about free people here that I want us all to listen to. He says, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God and have your fruit to holiness and the end 
everlasting life. Do you think of yourself as a slave? That may be another odd question. You know, we've never experienced slavery, have we? We thought we did when we were growing up. (laughs) We didn't. (laughs) We've never experienced slavery. I'll tell you something. A slave is powerless. They're subject to their master. A slave never forgets he's a slave. He knows who he is. He knows what he is to do. And he knows every day is going to be another day of slavery and service. And I'll tell you, Christianity is a voluntary slavery. I'd be lying if I said there weren't days that I forgot that. This is not my life to live how I want. My life is not my own. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Didn't you? We need to live that way. We need to understand that as slaves of righteousness, that means that I don't toe the line between right and wrong. I don't just veer off into the darkness every now and again and come back into the light. I need to live in holiness and project holiness in my life and be like Jesus Christ. And then and only then am I going to have peace in my life about my sin. We have to live the life of a Christian, not just wear the jacket. (laughs) You know, the other thing that Paul did, the last thing I want to talk to you about this morning, is that Paul did not try to hide or deny those sins. Acts 22 and 19, Paul says, So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I asked you, do you think Paul ever forgot? He didn't. I'll tell you what else he didn't do. He didn't pretend it didn't happen. Other people knew it happened. And you know something that makes us uncomfortable is talking about the wrong things we've done in our life. And and I don't want to minimize that that there's a truth about that that we need to understand. And that is it's shameful to talk about certain things. Vivid details and things of that nature. It's shameful to do that. And the Bible even talks about there's things that are even shameful to talk about in the darkness. But here's the thing about Paul. Every time Paul went and preached the gospel to, to people especially people who had heard his name, you know what he talked about? Who he used to be. He talked about it. And I think that frightens us. Frightens us. Let's go back to David. Psalms 32, verse 1. A psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Amen? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So he starts this out by saying, you know, it's a blessed thing for a man when he knows that his sins have been forgiven. But then he talks about the other side of things in verse 3. He says, when I kept silent, and he's talking about keeping silent about his sin, he says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, 
Your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. You know what he's describing? He's describing a person who because of their sin every day gets up and they walk around and they are dying inside. They're dying. And it feels like God's weight of his righteousness and justice is up on them every single day and it is crushing them. He's talking about guilt. And what did he say the problem was? When I kept silent. You ever tried to hide something? Something that you feared would one day come to light? You know, this is really strange, but it's human nature. We have decided within our minds that it's wisdom to tell everybody all the good things you've done and don't tell them any of the bad stuff you've done. You know what Jesus said? He said, don't even let one hand know what the other hand's doing. Don't talk about what you've done that's good. So we've done away with that one, hadn't we? But you know what else the Bible says? Confess your trespasses to one another. Here's what the Bible says. Don't talk about the good stuff you've done, but you need to talk about the bad stuff you've done. You say, well, I don't want to do that. I know, we don't want to do it. Why? Because we don't want other people knowing the bad stuff we've done because of the shame and the guilt that that will bring about. Listen, the shame and the regret's already there. It's already there. We're just delaying the inevitable. (laughs) Confess your faults, your trespasses to one another. Now listen, and pray for one another that you may be healed. What happens is we walk around, we're dying inside, our bones are growing old, we feel God's weight of justice, we are sick with sin, and what do we do? Nope, don't want to be healed. You ever been to the doctor, and he tells you what your sickness is, and he tells you, well, here's what we're going to prescribe, and you go, nope, don't want it. This will heal you of what's going to... I still don't want it. We don't do that, do we? Because when it's physical, we want to get better. And sometimes we'll try everything in the world to get better. But God makes it very simple and says, here's what you need to do, Christians. If you have sin in your life and you want to be healed, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Why? Because it's an effective treatment. The effective Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's simple. It's just that simple. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now here's why I read this verse. I think sometimes we read James 5, 16 and we go, nah, I don't know about that. I'm not sure I'm going to do that. Do we think it won't work? What does John say? If we confess, he is faithful. To do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, I don't know what sins you've committed. Maybe they're really, really bad. But here's what I do know. God 
is greater than your sin. He's greater. David said, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity have I not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, David had the same fear. But then he realized something. After he had confessed, he felt the freedom. He felt the release. He felt the peace of God. Because he did what he was supposed to do. So today... Do you trust in God's grace? And if you do, stop trying to forgive yourself. That's not going to work. You need to trust in God and not in you. Have you been washed? Are you different? Are you still practicing sin? And number three, if you have sin in your life that's eating at you, if you're walking around like David, sick with sin and full of regret day in and day out, if your sin is always before your face, friends, you know what you need to do. You need to bring that to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be fun. It's not fun. I'll tell you, it's humiliating to admit your sinfulness, isn't it? And the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's going to cost you some pride. And it's not going to be fun. But neither is most physical treatments when we go to the doctor, is it? Sometimes the symptoms feel like, uh, the side effects feel like they're worse than the symptoms. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. They never are with God. Final verse of the day. Going back to Psalms chapter 51, this time verse 16. David said, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. I think David looked at his sinfulness and he thought, you know what, I would give you anything that you ask for. What if somebody told you, I can take all of your guilt and shame from your entire life, I can erase it completely, it'll only cost you a hundred bucks. Would you pay that? That's pretty cheap. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's pretty cheap, isn't it? What about a thousand? Say, I ain't got a thousand bucks. Well, what if you did? <laughs> would you pay it? What monetary price would you put on it? David said, that's not what you want. What does God want? He wants us to bring that brokenness that we already have and lay it out before him. Say, so here I am. Help me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.